0: locked on Seahawks the daily Seattle Seahawks podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks for tuning in for our Wednesday episode. It's going to be a very defensive line-centric episode. We're going to hand out awards for our defensive lineman of the year. And we're going to look back at how the defensive end group performed during the 2021 season. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Now for your lead story here on locked on Seahawks since John Schneider and Pete Carroll arrived in 2010 the organization has rarely ever used the franchise tag in fact John Schneider's only used it two times since his arrival Alindo Mare the kicker his first year in Seattle they used the franchise tag on and then a few years back they franchise tagged Frank Clark turned around and traded him for a couple of high draft choices from the Kansas City Chiefs but otherwise Schneider has tended to prefer not to use the franchise tag. So normally when we're talking franchise tag or transition tag this time of year, Rob, we don't think the Seahawks are going to use it. But I think it is worth a discussion this year because I do think there are a couple players the Seahawks have that are set to become unrestricted free agents in mid-March that might warrant the money that would come with using a franchise tag to ensure that they're on the roster next season.
1: Well, and that is a fascinating conversation, Corbin, because uh, you know, as you just mentioned, the Seahawks have been really loath to use the franchise tag. That's because if you're going to dedicate that kind of money to any individual player, then they have better be the absolute best players that you've got. That's the whole point uh, you know, of the franchise tag. And so let's just have that conversation. So at the safety position, it is projected to be, Almost $13 million. So if you're going to you know, bring back Quandre Diggs and you're going to use him on the franchise tag, you're talking about $13 million when you've already allocated more than that to Jamal Adams. If you were already kind of thinking ahead about what that might mean for, for DK Metcalf, I mean, that's a significantly bigger number. That, that's almost $19 million at the wide receiver position. You're talking about that with uh, DJ you know, or Dwayne Brown, excuse me, at the left tackle position along the offensive line. It's almost $17 million. So I think that this is the offseason, Corbin, where, where the Seattle is very likely to do what they've done in the past. And that is to be able to try to negotiate with the current free agents, be able to try to get a lower price because offensive line, again, $17 million defensive line, um, somewhere between 17 and $18 million. It's just cheaper to be able to bring somebody in or crazy thought, be able to draft a superstar because it is really expensive. We're talking about franchising any type of player in in today's NFL.
0: I think $13.5 million for a safety is fairly reasonable if you're talking about an elite talent. The problem that the Seahawks are going to be dealing with here, though, is you've already invested that massive contract in Jamal Adams last offseason. So it's going to be really difficult to sell the idea that it's worth paying a second safety $13.5 million on a franchise tag. I think you could make a counter argument, though. Quandre Diggs, it seems to me, at least based on what I've seen on social media, the things that he has said publicly, that this is where he wants to be. He wants to be in Seattle. And if this is the way that you can prolong negotiations to sign him to a three or four year contract that's going to be at a lower per year value, then you absolutely do it. And that has not been a strategy that John Schneider has employed in the past, but you do have to remember the Seahawks currently have an estimated 43 million in cap space. If they make a few other moves cutting a few players, they could have upwards of 55 to 60 million in cap space. And so they might have the flexibility in the short term to be able to franchise tag a player like Quandre Diggs. If he's that valuable to their defense, which you and I would both agree that he absolutely is, If you're wanting to have a longer window to have contract discussions with him, this would be the way to do it because as good of a player as he is, you're not going to be getting another team coming in, trying to negotiate with them to give up two first round picks as compensation. They're not going to do that. You could use the transition tag too, which is a couple million dollars less. The difference there is if another team comes in and offers a contract and you don't match, you're not getting compensation back. The Seahawks know what that feels like way back in the day, Steve Hutchinson, when he went to the Minnesota Vikings. So that has been something John Schneider has not used a single time since he came to Seattle. He just tends to not prefer to use franchise or transition tags. But I think Quandre Diggs is the one player that you could make a strong argument for using it just as a means to extend that window to negotiate. Ultimately, you want a longer-term deal that has smaller cap hits And I think you could get cap hits around $10 million on average for Quandre Diggs, and that would still fit into Seattle's budget given how important he is to this defense.
1: I would agree with you that the free safety position is absolutely critical to Pete Carroll's defense. I would agree with you that Quandre Diggs deserves that paycheck. The fact that he suffered the horrific injury that he did, I think – works very much against Quandre Diggs. That works. I think it works very much in favor of the Seattle Seahawks. And it breaks my heart to say it. I think that Quandre Diggs, again, deserves that type of pay. I, I don't know that he's going to get that in today's NFL. Corbin, th- this is a really good draft class at the 2022 NFL draft in terms of safeties. And I think, that again, that works against Quandre Diggs' favor. And I want him to get the pay that he deserves. The fact that he has had, what, five-plus interceptions each of the last two seasons, all pro candidate, in my opinion, each of the last two seasons. I just don't know that he's going to get that in the open market. And so, again, to me, this is something that actually works in Seattle's favor a little bit. We talked about this yesterday on our podcast about how you know, with with Sean Payton likely retiring, Tom Brady, who knows what's gonna happen in the NFC South. The schedule actually is kind of looking a little bit better in Seattle's favor. Free agency quietly could be looking a bit a little bit better in Seattle's favor as well.
0: Yeah, I think you make some sound arguments there because this is a really good safety class. So other teams might not be throwing the money out there even for a player of Quandre Diggs' caliber, one of the best free safeties in the league, and coming off injury, that may even further diminish his value. He's the only player that I can see Seattle making any consideration for using the franchise tag on. Rashad Penny, with his injury history, they're not going to be throwing out 12 or $10 million to franchise or transition tag him, and they're not going to use it to try to just extend a window to give him a longer-term deal. They're not going to use that strategy on Penny. And they're not going to do it with a 36, soon to be 37-year-old Dwayne Brown. They're certainly not going to do it with Gerald Everett, the season he's coming off of, when he was making around $5 million last year. I don't think he's done enough to justify getting paid anything more than that. So ultimately, I'd be very surprised if the Seahawks use a franchise tag. i just expect another offseason to come and go where they don't use it. If they do, though, I think Diggs is the one player. That maybe John Schneider in the front office would consider using on if they have some fear that him hitting the market, he might get a better deal. If that happens, they might decide to pull the trigger to ensure that he stays on the team. Oddly, though, I'm not expecting it to happen. I think we're going to see status quo on this front, and John Schneider and company will decide to avoid using the franchise or transition tag during the 2022 offseason. We're going to shift gears to our postseason awards. We're about 70% through. We've already talked Offensive Lineman of the Year. It's time to flip to the other side of the trenches. Defensive Lineman of the Year, Rob and I will be making our picks in just a moment. We're all looking for an edge these days, and I'd like to thank OnlineGambling.com for sponsoring today's podcast. If you don't know already, OnlineGambling.com is a website dedicated to giving betters the edge. Throughout the playoffs, they're providing you with the best NFL tips, news, and more to help you make your bets as informed as ever. At the beginning of the playoffs, the experts at OnlineGambling.com asked me to show off my prediction skills and pick my Super Bowl finalists. Well, the Packers and Bills are both out, so I royally stink at picking Super Bowl winners. But they've given me a chance to make one last change in my picks heading into the conference championships, so I'm going to roll moving forward with the Rams facing off against the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl 2 high-powered offenses. Patrick Mahomes going up against Matthew Stafford. Wish me luck. It's my reputation on the line. It's already pretty sullied after how I picked this year. If you're planning on placing a bet during the playoffs, make sure you head to OnlineGambling.com before you do. OnlineGambling.com gives bettors the edge by providing the best and most trusted experience online every day. That includes their OG tip section where you'll find their own Super Bowl picks as well as the inside track on how to beat the odds throughout the NFL playoffs. Make sure to visit OnlineGambling.com slash NFL for all the latest gambling news, tips, and odds to give you the edge throughout the playoffs. Remember, that's OnlineGambling.com slash NFL to make the most of this year's playoffs. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Wednesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined as always by Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. We've got the Peacock and Williamson NFL show. They're going to be heading out to Los Angeles for Super Bowl week. Make sure to follow the Peacock and Williamson show today to get the most comprehensive coverage of the big game. It's free and available on all platforms. We're going to continue our 2021 postseason awards. We've covered a number of awards up to this point. MVP, Offensive, Defensive Player of the Year, Rookie of the Year, Comeback Player of the Year, offensive lineman of the year. Now it's time to head over to the other side of the trenches and talk defensive lineman of the year. There's one candidate that stands above the rest when I'm looking at this award, but again, it depends what your criteria are. For me, I think I've been pretty consistent about this, Rob. I generally have been picking players for this award that have had the most consistent seasons and maybe not your flash in the pan type players like Rashad Penny that did so at the end of the year Or in this instance, Carlos Dunlap, who exploded for eight sacks in the last six games. Obviously, that's impressive production during a six-game span, but he had half a sack. The remainder of the season really was a non-factor the entire first half. So while I certainly could give it to him if it was defensive lineman of the second half, I can't give it to him for the entire season. To me, this one's a slam dunk. We've talked about him for a few other awards. Big Al Woods coming in this year. 34 years old, did not play in 2020, sat out as an opt-out due to COVID-19. I think a lot of people, including both of us, we were skeptical that Outwoods was going to come in and be able to make a big difference after sitting out for a year given his age. But all he did was have the best season of his career, and he was easily the most consistent defensive lineman from week one to week 18 on Seattle's roster. Career high, 50 tackles, one and a half sacks. Three batted passes at the line, was living in the backfield, 18 pressures as an interior rusher. So he was contributing at 330-plus pounds as an interior pass rusher, and he was doing it all season long. Really, he was the most complete defensive lineman throughout the season that the Seahawks have and really were discounting statistics that don't show up on his stat line. The tackles that were made by Bobby Wagner and Jordan Brooks, a lot of those happened because of the presence of Al Woods in the middle, taking up space and getting the job done, taking on double teams, keeping those linebackers free. Just an incredible season for him at the age of 34. So to me, this one's a no contest. There might be a few other guys you can mention, but this is Al Woods' award and it's a runaway.
1: Sure. One and a half sacks compared to eight and a half sacks. The guy that I'm going to talk about, you you mentioned him with Carlos Dunlap. I mean, just eight and a half sacks when Seattle used him effectively, he was the dominant defensive lineman uh, on Seattle's roster. And again, you said it Corbin. I mean, What what Al Woods was able to do all year long, I mean, he was one of the true joys of a season that was just mired in ugliness from a Seattle Seahawks perspective. So I am not trying to argue against Al Woods, getting all kinds of acknowledgement. Just yesterday, you and I talked about the fact that, uh, you know, I I personally thought that he was not going to make this roster. And I think you can make a strong argument as you just did that Al Woods was Seattle's most dominant defensive lineman all season long. But at the same time, statistically, statistically, it's not even close. Carlos Dunlap was Seattle's most dominant defensive lineman, uh, you know, over the season. If you just want to count sacks, and let's face it, that is what the NFL is all about. That's why pass rushers are going to be two of the top three draft picks this year if Kayvon Thibodeau and Aiden Hutchinson aren't the top two draft picks this year. Carlos Dunlap, once Seattle started actually using him correctly, once, you know, hey, Ken Norton Jr. figured it out, and that might be why he is no longer Seattle's defensive coordinator, started figuring it out. Carlos Dunlap was absolutely dominant at times this season, and that's why, to me, it. it you're right. There is no argument. The defensive lineman of the year was Carlos Dunlap.
0: See, and that again, this is the criteria thing. You and I are looking at different stuff, and I would agree with you. It's maybe a little different than Dwayne Brown's situation, where Dwayne Brown was playing every snap in the first half of the year and just wasn't playing well at all. Dunlap certainly was hindered by how the coaching staff was using him, the lack of snaps, the number of snaps that he was dropping back in coverage. We made a big deal about that throughout the first three quarters of the season really why are you dropping your best pass rusher back in coverage so much it just didn't make sense and so from that standpoint maybe you're swaying me a little bit more towards him being the defensive line of the year but I still think Al Woods again to me it's about your most consistent impactful player up front and Al Woods just did so many things that aren't going to show up on the stat sheet and this isn't to take away from what Carlos Dunlap did that last five or six games of the season because he was fantastic. He was playing at an all-pro level, three sacks in a game against the Rams, had another multi-sack game. I mean, it felt like he was getting in the backfield and hitting quarterbacks every other drop back there in those last five weeks. And so he deserves credit for that. It's just it's unfortunate that that production, at least half that production, wasn't there in the first 9, 10 games. Some of that wasn't his fault. Some of it was. He wasn't very effective with the reps that he did get where he was rushing the passer, that changed in the second half. One other name I'm going to throw out there, we've talked about him for a few other awards. He was my biggest surprise winner. Talked about him some yesterday. Rasheem Green had a very good season. Career high in tackles, finished tight for second on the team with six and a half sacks. Had a number of tackles for loss as well. I thought he made notable improvements as a run defender. He started 15 out of 17 games. So overall had a pretty sound season. Still some struggles in the run game. And his pass rushing was inconsistent. Another player that a lot of his sacks came late in the season. So I still got to go with Al Woods, but I at least wanted to mention Rasheem Green as somebody that I thought about briefly because he made such big strides in his game in his fourth season in the league.
1: Well, and I, and I do appreciate that. I think that you make a really strong argument for Al Woods. I, I, I think that Rasheem Green is a really good football player who, whose best football is ahead of him. So I, I, I appreciate kind of that little uh, tip of the cap as well. If we're gonna give tip of the caps, then I think who is the most valuable defensive lineman on Seattle staff? And I'm not even sure that everybody, in, in, you know, from the Seattle perspective would argue that Gerald Taylor is defensive lineman, but I think that he might be their most valuable edge rusher, uh, you know, or front seven defender in a lot of ways because of the upside that he presented. So again, if we're gonna kind of just get, put a feather in a Cap of anybody. Um, again, with all due respect to certainly Always, to certainly Rasheen Green, and as I just argued before with Carlos Dunlap, but I think that you make an excellent point. He should have forced the issue, he should have been more dominant. It, Seattle arguably is in the playoffs if Carlos Dunlap was more effective earlier in the season. So I again I, I think that you make an excellent point, but Daryl Taylor is the most valuable commodity among Seattle's defensive linemen right now. We argue what you want about his positional, uh, you know, his, his spot. But at the same time, he is the guy that I think has the Seahawks scouts and, and coaches most excited about what he might be able to do among their defensive linemen moving forward.
0: Yeah, if we're talking future stock, somebody that you're really excited about down the road. He had a good season, obviously finished second on the team in sacks, but Daryl Taylor is probably the one that you're going to be wanting to buy futures for. I would completely agree with you on that. He left way too many tackles on the field though, and had his issues at the point of attack. I think he's going to improve in both those areas. So wasn't really a player that came across my mind for this particular war, but very excited about what he could bring to the table in the future, rushing off the edge, playing that Sam spot as well as Leo. We'll see ultimately where he ends up settling in with the Seahawks moving forward. But an invaluable player to their future that I think has a ton of upside, could be a potential Pro Bowler, double digit sack guy down the road. Had a pretty exciting pseudo rookie season, but Not quite good enough for me to include in this award. We're going to be talking a lot more about Daryl Taylor and a number of other pass rushers here in a moment as we continue our position-by-position 2021 review. We started it all off with quarterbacks yesterday. Now we're going to talk about the players charged with harassing quarterbacks in the defensive ends. Looking forward to that discussion and maybe a little bit of debate sprinkled in there as we dish out our season grades for a number of players. It's a new year, which means new year resolutions. If yours is about getting fit, mine certainly is. Make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, and it makes it easier to stick to your resolution. It tastes so good you'll want to eat it, unlike other protein bars, which can be chalky or waxy or taste like a chemical spill. If you want to eat healthy, it can get difficult this time of year. Trust me, I've been thinking about it lately. This might just not be worth it, but... Built Bar makes it a lot easier, covered in 100% real chocolate, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein, way healthier than you get from a candy bar. Even if you're not a huge fan of working out, you can at least eat something that tastes good and it's good for you. That way when you enjoy a delicious Built Bar, you can almost count it as a workout. So many delicious flavors, coconut almond, raspberry cookies and cream, salted caramel. Built is always coming out with new delicious limited time flavors, so check them all out at built.com and see what's new. Go to built.com and use the promo code LOCK15 and you'll get 15% off your order. That's LOCK15 for 15% off at built.com. There's an incredible app out there for everyone who buys gas that they need to know about, and it's called Get Upside. My listeners are earning cash back for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN for $0.25 cents per gallon on your first fill-up. That's automatic cash back. Don't pay full price of the pump anymore. Get cash back using Get Upside. Download the app for free and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN for $0.25 cents per gallon on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to three hundred dollars a year in cash back, and there's no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Download the free GetUpSide app and use the promo code Touchdown to get twenty-five cents per gallon back on your first tank. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. Wednesday edition, this is Corbin Smith, joined as always by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Continuing our position by position 2021 review, we started off the festivities yesterday talking about Russell Wilson, Geno Smith, and the quarterbacks. Now we're going to shift gears to the defense. The guys charged with harassing opposing quarterbacks, and unfortunately... This was an area of major inconsistency for the Seahawks, their entire defensive line when it came to getting after quarterbacks. We just kind of hit on it already last quarter. I mean, Carlos Dunlap, Rob, you want to talk about a tale of two seasons, some of it being his fault, some of it being how he was used, but half a sack going into week 13. He had played in the previous 11 games, had half a sack at only three quarterback hits. He really was a non-factor for most of this season, and yet, from week 13 on, he had eight sacks and was arguably the most dominant edge rusher in the NFL, winning with power, had a number of big pass deflections in the line of scrimmage as well. He was taking over games at times up front. And so I'm going to give him a B minus just because of how poor the first almost three quarters of the season was. But he was so spectacular down the stretch. And as you mentioned, some of it was just simply the coaches using him better and there were some issues that he had to address with the coaching staff about that after their bye week. He certainly wasn't happy about his role. Once they get that figured out, he was much more productive, and he really was the brightest spot in terms of production rushing the passer for the Seahawks this year.
1: Well, he certainly was down the stretch. You know, As I just argued, I thought he was Seattle's most dominant defensive lineman if you were taking the entire season into account, and that's just because he he led the team with eight and a half sacks. I mean, Rashim Green had six and a half, Dale Taylor had six and a half, and after that, drops to two. You know, I mean, that's that's a pretty significant drop off. And so he certainly over the first half of the season, the first 13 games over the season, more than half. Uh, the fact that Carlos Dunlap was not more productive than that is, you know, all, all the argument that you need that maybe he shouldn't be the player that we highlighted for defensive lineman of the year, but he was so damn good. I mean, those are pretty significant numbers, and obviously one of the things that Pete Carroll has always prioritized is how do you play your football during the fourth quarter, down the stretch, and and that is where Carlos Dunlap was at his best. Now, at the same time, while I would argue that Carlos Dunlap deserves a B, then I don't know that uh, that you can make that same argument for some of Seattle's other defensive linemen this year. To me, that is one of the things that I have some real concerns about. I mean, there, there was so much talk about what say Benson Mayoa might be able to provide the Seahawks this year. He wound up with one sack. How much the Kerry Hyder might be able to provide the Seahawks this year. He ended up with One sack again. To me, the proof is in the pudding. If you are getting one sack, it's kind of like one of those old NFL, you know, kind of just conversations used to have is you are what your schedule and what your record suggests you are. Only getting one sack in 17 games. See how obviously needs to upgrade at the pass rusher position this year.
0: Yeah, I was gonna go to the veterans here next, moving away from Carlos Dunlap because I think Benson Mayoa is probably the most disappointing of those two, just simply because with Kerry Hyder, if you looked at his career track record and we talked about this, I, I thought he was going to be a lot more productive than this, but maybe I shouldn't have because he has been such a roller coaster when it comes to pass rushing production. He'll get eight sacks in the next year. He'll get one or two. And then a few years later, he'll have another really big season. Then he'll come back and have a, a down year in that regard. I thought he did okay against the run. I at least had a few times this year where I noticed him making some plays, or maybe it didn't show up in the stat sheet, but he did some nice things on the defensive line to help make plays for others. I can't tell you other than Week One when Benson Mayo had a sack and two tackles for a loss. He was one of their best defensive players against the Colts in the season opener. I can't tell you one other time the entire season that I even remember him being on the field, and yet he played over 500 snaps. I mean, it was. Just an extremely disappointing season for a player that had six sacks for them the year before. He finished on a strong note. I thought he would give them more than he did. There really wasn't any juice from him off the edge rushing the passer. No other notable plays. Really the only one that dropped, you know, comes to mind is when he gave up a touchdown in coverage, which again, why is he playing in coverage? But allowing Najee Harris to score in the Steelers game when he was going up against the running back in coverage. That's the only other play that comes to mind. That's how poor of a season he had. So I gave him a flat-out D. I just didn't see anything from Benson Mayo this year aside from the season opener. And Kerry Hyder, I gave a C-, and that was being generous, just like I said, on the fact that if you watch the film, he was doing some things in the line of scrimmage that were helping others. But as far as individual production, it simply wasn't there. You didn't get any pass-rushing contributions from him. Had a decent number of pressures and quarterback hits, but he wasn't getting after it, really and didn't provide the thump as a run defender. I think everybody anticipated overall a signing that just didn't work out. So I agree with you. Those two guys moving forward, I think the Seahawks have to figure out who they're going to bring in to replace those guys. They're both under contract, but you can create some cap space by removing both of them from the picture. And I think those are tough business decisions you have to make with guys they like. I think they got to move on and try to find upgrades during free agency. And now let's swing over to the young guys. Rasheem Green, I talked about last quarter as kind of mentioned for defensive lineman of the year. I didn't pick him, but certainly had a standout year. The best season of his career, six and a half sacks, a bunch of tackles for a loss, career high in tackles and quarterback pressures, started 15 out of 17 games. I gave him a solid B, in part because the expectations weren't very high going into the season, and yet he exceeded all those expectations and still a very young player that has a lot of room to grow. The versatility he can play Leo. You can reduce him inside to three tech. He can play big end at 285, 290 pounds. There aren't a lot of guys that can play all three of those spots and succeed at them. Rasheem Green showed this year that he can. So I think there's still room to grow as a run defender. Consistency issues still plague him at times as a pass rusher, but we saw major progress on both fronts. So I'm gonna give him a solid grade. As for Daryl Taylor and Alton Robinson, Taylor, I'm gonna give a C plus. I think that he did some really nice things. There's not a guy in the team that has a more explosive first step off the line and can win as a speed rusher like Daryl Taylor does. And he showed that a lot this season. He even won with power at times, surprising power as a bull rusher. Several games where he stood out in that regard. The problem was finishing. He left so many tackles on the field, a number of sacks that slipped out of his grasp, tackles in the run game, he didn't hold up at the point of attack as much as I hoped he would. That's an area he's going to have to hit the weight room and get a little stronger, especially if he's going to be playing Sam linebacker being able to set the edge. So that's why his grades where it's at, he didn't have a lot of sacks in the second half of the season and he left a lot of them on the field. He was disruptive pressure wise, but he's got to turn those into more sacks and more quarterback hits than what we saw. Alton Robinson, I'm giving him a D because he's like Benson Mayoa. He had that strip sack in week two against the Titans. And then, I honestly don't remember another play that he made the entire season. He didn't have any other sacks. And I think he only had one quarterback hit in the last 15 games. Really a disappointing sophomore season. Some of it, again, was not getting a ton of snaps. But the snaps he did get, unlike his rookie year, he just didn't do anything with them. So he didn't justify getting more opportunities as the season unfolded. And that might be my biggest disappointment. It's disappointing with Mayo and Hyder, but... Alton Robinson's a guy that you and I both had high expectations for going into year two, and it just didn't work out this season.
1: Yeah, that's the thing, is it didn't. Um, You know, for Daryl Taylor and Alton Robinson, I I just didn't think that there was enough finish. I mean, I think you could argue that, that Seattle's two young edge rushers, their combined nickname should be Finney because they didn't add the SH and actually finish they just didn't do it often enough. And, you know, I'll I'll do respect to Daryl Taylor. Uh, You know, I I think that as you just mentioned, I mean, he is Seattle's uh, speediest guy off the snap. He's He does have that bend that just it suggests that he could be a dynamic edge rusher, and uh, you know Rashim Green as well. I mean, the fact that Seattle moved him up and down the line of scrimmage, he actually led Seattle's defensive linemen in quarterback hits with 15 this season. Corby, I mean, there there are some things about him. The fact he's 25 years old still, there's defensive linemen who are going to go in the top 100 of this year's draft class. I'm looking forward to evaluating some of them in mobile here literally this next coming next next week uh that i don't know that have the upside that regime green still has but add the sh- add the finish shut that quiet that, that crowd down silence them with being able to finish and, and that is the thing i think that is the kind of the You know, what we saw uh, of Seattle's defensive line this year, when they really were playing good football, when Carlos Dunlap, Al Woods, as we talked about before, were the guys who were finishing. You can't have 33, 34, 35-year-old guys be your finishers along their defensive line. Seattle's younger pass rushers and defensive linemen in general have to be some of those guys. So. To me, that that is really the conversation here. I I would agree with you. I I think we're talking about Cs and Ds and perhaps even lower when we're talking about, uh, you know, certainly Alton Robinson, certainly Benson Mayoa. I mean, we just did not see enough finish from guys whose job description is to finish.
0: Yeah, we didn't, we just didn't see enough plays on the field. And for a few of those guys, I mean, at least from Daryl Taylor's perspective, it's like, I know he's getting back there. I know the pressures are there. And even Alton Robinson had a 10% pressure rate. So there were pressures there, but you've got to start turning those into at least some quarterback hits, lay some hits on these guys. I mean, I can remember the Washington game, that Daryl Taylor, I don't know how many times he had Taylor Heineke wrapped up and could not get him to the ground. That can't happen if you want to be an elite pass rusher in this league. So that's something that's easily correctable. And if Daryl Taylor is able to do that, he could put together a 12, 13, 14 or more sack season. He has that kind of ability, that kind of toolbox in terms of skills, but finishing is huge. And he just was not able to do that. And we have to remember it's really, it was the first season as NFL player coming off an injury. So I think overall he had a solid season. Robinson, pretty darn disappointing Mayo and Hyder, Very disappointing bringing those veterans back, and it just didn't work out. So we'll have more time to talk about this when we start getting into free agents that are going to be available on the market. But Pete Carroll talked about it in his end-of-season press conference as the number one area they have to address for this football team. They have got to shore up their pass rush. It's been a constant problem for them for the most part. They need to bring in some alpha rushers this year. And there's going to be some guys potentially hitting the free agent market. Are you going to have to spend money to get them? Absolutely. But they need to make those kind of investments because I think Carlos Dunlap, even at his age, you can still get really good production for a couple more seasons out of him. Daryl Taylor's got really high upside. I still believe Alton Robinson can be a solid rotational rusher, even though he didn't show it much this year, but you got to get another alpha rusher that can really dominate opponents And I think if you team a player like that with Daryl Taylor, Carlos Dunlap and a few other veteran reinforcements that are going to be more effective from a consistency standpoint, that this could be a totally different defense that stands out in the top five and doesn't give up as many third down conversions, doesn't give up near as many long drawn out drives that helps the offense. It helps the defense. It helps everybody. And so, I think that that is what we're going to be diving into a lot more in future episodes. It's clearly evident they're going to need to overhaul this group, but you do have some pieces still, veteran and young guys alike, that you can build around. You just need some more star power and some more reinforcements to really get after quarterbacks next season. As always, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and of course, we're live on YouTube. Five days a week. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Coming up tomorrow, I'll be joining Nick Lee for our Thursday episode. The two of us will continue our postseason awards, looking at our three plays of the year on offense, defense, and special teams. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Go Hawks.